All right, evening everyone. I can see my left is a lot more popular than my right tonight, but uh, I was sitting on the right, so I actually think that's the cool side, so that's all good. How are we? We're good? Craig's terrible, everyone else is good. Um, I'll tell you a little uh, good news story before I get into my sermon, just around, we mentioned, uh, Wa Stone, Nikki mentioned a fundraiser for uh, Wa and Hian, and the reason we're seeking to do that is because not only do we want to bring them back to Australia, because it may be the last time Wa and his wife, Wa gets to spend time with his parents, because they're too old to go to Vietnam, but to bring him back because of his disability requires bringing him back business class because he just said he couldn't do sitting in an economy class seat because of his disability. So that's why it costs a bit more money. Um, and a number of churches are contributing uh, love offerings to help fund this. Um, and I mentioned it two weeks ago in the morning service and someone came up to me after the service and I got an email that week saying, you know, do you think your church could raise $1,000? And I mentioned it in the service and someone came up to me uh, after the service, they said, this week, God put it on our heart to give money, and we just donated $1,000 to Warstone this week. And so God had already put it on their heart, and they'd given the amount that we were then suggesting that we wanted to raise as a church, which is pretty cool. So we're still going to do a fundraiser, and just what we give will go either to making sure that's covered, but just to the work of House of Grace. And I think it's really exciting. Um, we're actually part of a generous church. And people are generous in so many different ways, but one of them is financially. A few months ago, we did a, launched a project for uh, supporting work in Uganda as part of Baptist World Aid. And I set a goal that we would raise $50,000 over five years. And the, um, uh, the exciting part in that is after I shared that vision on the Sunday morning, um, one couple came up and said, well, we want to give $25,000. And... Um, just a regular um, couple, but God had put them in a position where they, they had some money set aside and, and they wanted to give to that. And anyway, so, so far we've raised in our first year $45,000 of the 50. <laughs> so we're smashing it out of the ballpark. And uh, when Hohidii came, I think we raised $6,000, which went to the work of Hohidii. And that's on top of our regular offerings, which support the mission of this church, as well as other missionaries as, as well. So... That's exciting. I reckon that's great to be uh, generous because God wants us to be generous and give out of like a cheerful heart. And so that's awesome. Um, I'll just bring up my message. Um, tonight I get to continue sharing with you about Romans chapter 8. If you have a Bible, can you please open it up? Or if you have a Bible on your phone, open it up to Romans chapter 8. We're preaching through, uh, I said last week, the greatest chapter in the greatest letter, in the greatest book ever written. Greatest chapter, Romans 8, in the greatest letter, Romans, in the greatest book, the Bible ever written. Last week I got to preach from Romans 8, verse uh, 1 to 17, and focused on verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can you remember that verse? It's good if you were here. I hope you do. Um, it says in John 3:16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Who's heard that verse before? Um, but then it goes on to say, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, there's that word again, but to save the world through Him. 
God's, God's heart for you is not condemnation, but salvation. God sent Jesus so that you would not be condemned, but that through him you would be saved. So we can declare, Romans 8 verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And instead, as I preached last week, we enter into a new life, which is life in the Spirit. Uh, with God's Spirit filling us so that we actually know the presence of God in our life, which is awesome. So that leads us into today's uh, passage. Uh, before I do, I, I should mention this. Um, Kate Jansen, just up the back there. Just <laughs> so Kate was just awarded the um, chef, what was the actual thing that you are awarded? The Apprentice Chef of the Year for South Australia. <laughs> At some, yeah, yeah, of, over all, okay, sorry, hold on. I thought it was the apprentice chef of the year. Okay, the apprentice over all apprentices of the year. Kate Jansen, you legend, well done, great effort. So anyway, now we come to today's passage. Uh, let me read today's passage and then we'll get into it. Open up Romans 8. We're going to start at verse 18 and we're going to go through to verse 20, uh, 27, okay, 26, okay. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly, uh, as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, do not yet have, we wait patiently for it. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. For those of you who were here last week, you may not have noticed from my preaching, but from me sharing, that I was actually feeling pretty sick last week. And one of the things as a preacher is you jump up and you just preach and you kind of pr try to pretend that you're not sick. But I was feeling really average. And I, got, I was sort of sick on Thursday night, I got sick, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. And I kept going, you know when you're just that sick, that not so sick that you're like lying in bed really sick, but you're just sick enough that you can keep doing stuff, but you just keep staying sick until you stop? Yeah, Okay. So I decided on Wednesday I would stop, right? I decided on Wednesday I'll take a day off. So I dropped the kids off to school. I came home. I thought, I just need to rest and relax, and I'm going to get better. 
And um, so I, I decided, oh, I'll run a bath, right? I'll go upstairs uh, to the kids' bathroom where they've got a bath, and I'll run a bath. And I got into the bath, and uh, this is just a, this really isn't related to my sermon, but it's just a funny story. Uh, I, I got into the bath, and I looked at the door of, our ba- of the bathroom. And at that moment, I remembered something. What I remembered was that three days earlier, the door to the bathroom we discovered was broken. You could operate it from the outside, but once it was shut, you could not get out from the inside. And Mel was off to work, the kids were at school, and no one was coming home for six hours. (laughs) And I was just stuck in in the bath, so I had a really long bath, um, and, and I had time to think, like, I hate being sick, and I just, I just had time to think about sickness and how much I hate it. And I also had time to think about, what am I going to do? And I had to wrestle, do I climb out the window, but it was on the second floor, and that wasn't a good option, because I probably might have died. Um, or do I just lie here for six hours? I thought, I'm going to get really wrinkly, and it's just going to be <laughs> boring. And so I, I decided, and this is what I did, I'm going to have to smash through the door <laughs> to, to get out. So I thought, well, I wish I had some, like, shoes because I, you know, I don't want to break my foot. Um, I thought if I, or do I do the shoulder? Anyway, I decided I'd, I'd reverse and I'd <laughs> I put a sock on to protect my foot. And I smashed my foot through the door and, and then reached up and got out. Anyway. And, and what does that have to do with my sermon? Well, I'm trying to weave it in somehow, but it's a very tenuous link. It goes back to the fact that I, I was sick and I needed a day of rest and it didn't quite happen as planned. But in the end, I just, it just reminded me throughout the day and while I was in the bath that I hate being sick. Who hates being sick? Yeah, everyone hates being sick. Uh, you know, I won't get you to put your hands up who enjoys suffering? Silly question. No one. No one enjoys suffering. And of course, my sickness was temporary and minor and I recovered. But tonight we're talking about a passage that engages with the question about suffering. Reality is, we, li- we live in a world that is full of suffering. Serious, genuine suffering. It's full of pain, sickness and frustration. A few weeks prior to my uh, sickness, my daughter Zoe, uh, no, it was probably six weeks prior, she, um, she developed an infection in her hand and it started to grow and, and that's a worrying thing. She ended up in hospital for a few days. Again, her thing ended up being quite minor and treatable, but in hospital you see kids and it's, it's a little bit heartbreaking because you know there's kids who aren't in there for three or four days to have something minor treated, but there's kids who are dealing with life-threatening illnesses, terminal illnesses. And, and sometimes you've got to ask that question, why? Where is God in this? All of us face the reality that we are slowly ageing. And uh, I think I've shared this b- before. Once you're past the peak, which is around 25, it is a slow downhill from there. And the outcome, anyone here 25? 
you're at the peak. You are peak physical human specimens. And, and, and it's all downhill from, hill from here for you. Uh, and we know that we know where life ends. Life has pain and suffering throughout and ends in death. Where is God in that? And so that is what this passage is wrestling with. Does God have any plans? Three questions I want to ask. Where is God in suffering? Uh, does God have any plan to deal with suffering? These are the questions we ask. Actually, not the three questions, but I'm just throwing that out there to start with. Romans 8 speaks into these questions. And this message is called Present Suffering and Future Glory. It is essential if you are going to live your life as a Christian that you actually have what I call a theology of suffering. You have an understanding of suffering because you've got to understand many Christians suffer incredibly and have done throughout history and many Christians are suffering right now but it in no way impacts their faith. Their faith remains strong and in fact is strengthened through suffering while some other Christians find that when suffering comes along it's this massive um, kind of like thing that just throws them off the path of following Jesus. They're blindsided by it. How, how on earth does this fit with God? And we need to have an understanding. So let's have a look at some of the words that appear in this passage. Verse 18, we see the word suffering. Your, your version might be different. I'm in the NIV. Verse 20, frustration. Verse 21, decay. Verse 22, groaning. Verse 22 again, pains, and verse 26, weakness. Suffering, frustration, decay, groaning, pain, and weakness. All of us uh, would identify with at least some of those words in our life. All of us would have someone whom we love, whom we have seen experience significant suffering, frustration, Decay, uh, groaning, that inward uh, pain and weakness. Uh, our modern medicine is remarkable and it is uh, incredible, uh, has an incredible capacity to extend life and to treat disease and yet suffering still remains, even in our country, inevitable. I wonder how many of us here, uh, if not for modern me medicine, particularly in our childhood, would not be here because of treatment either at birth or in the early years. Is there anyone in that, in that position? Put your hand up. There's quite a few. That's amazing. So we are largely protected from that, but in, invariably suffering is still part of our life. And so this is uh, a message that's uh, maybe not so cheery, and yet it is a message of hope that I bring you tonight. It's a message of hope. In contrast to the references to suffering, this very same passage, these same verses have these words, these, these phrases. The glory that will be revealed. Creation waits in eager expectation. Verse 20 to 21. In hope that creation will be liberated, set free from its bondage. Verse 23. We wait eagerly for our adoption as children of God. 
Verse 24, in this hope we were saved. Verse 25, we wait patiently. So like in, in just like, what is it, seven verses, there's all these references to pain and suffering, but at the same time, there's all these references to hope and to being set free into future. So the three questions that I want to explore are, first, is there hope in suffering? Secondly, uh, is suffering meaningless? And thirdly, where is God in suffering? Okay, so it's kind of a... Uh, an exploration of this through through the passage we're looking at. First question, is there hope in suffering? Well, what kind of suffering is Paul referring to here? So the author here is the Apostle Paul. Now, if you know Paul's life, uh, you'll know that Paul suffered greatly, largely because of his faith and because of his ministry. So frequently he was imprisoned. He was uh, at times uh, whipped, sort of whipped and beaten to the point of death. Um, he, he suffered greatly, but he's not really talking here about the kind of suffering that comes from persecution. He's really talking here primarily about the kind of suffering that comes as part of being a human being, the ordinary, everyday suffering that every single human experiences. And if we look at verse 19, he says, uh, verse 20, he actually says that suffering is not just something humans experience, it's something that the whole of creation is experiencing. He says, for the creation was subject, subjected to frustration. Creation was subjected to frustration. This isn't just about people. The whole of creation, not only are we, uh, the, who, those of us who are beyond 25, experiencing a slow decay in our life, um, but the whole of creation is experiencing a slow decay in its life. So every beautiful thing that you look at in creation... You look at a beautiful flower long enough, you're going to have to really sit this out to do this experiment, um, it's going to decay and become an ugly flower after a while. It's going to die. Every living thing dies. I, I've, this is really an encouraging message, isn't it? Um, I conduct funerals and in a funeral we say these words, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. I'm giving away the second half of the message because I then say, in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of the dead to eternal life through Jesus Christ. That, that's my message in a whole. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, but in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of the dead to eternal life. Uh, the ultimate fate of the universe. I, I searched this on Wikipedia, and surely Wikipedia, we know, is the bastion of all truth. Um, so that the ultimate fate of our universe goes by a number of terms. Um, scientifically, it is understood that the universe is slowly decaying and deteriorating. So it's known as either the big freeze, the big rip, or the big crunch, or the big bounce, or the false vacuum. Okay, that's kind of how the world's going to, the universe is going to end according to Wikipedia. <laughs> Um, the general hypothesis is the universe is breaking down and things at a both a cosmic level and a micro level are in a state of constant and inevitable decay. Everything is slowly decaying, including people. The, the whole of creation is subject to frustration. Now, when you become a Christian, do you step out of that and avoid that? No. And, you know, if you want living proof of that, 
Um, no, I was going to point someone out in the room. No, just joking. Um, you can look at me. You know, I used to have a luxurious head of hair, and it's just slowly, dismally, sadly deteriorating. Uh, it, it's evidence of the slow decay of people. Um, verse 23 says this. It says, not, not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So God's done something for us. He's saved us, but there's something going on with, that's go, still going on in our bodies, which is that we're still part of the created order and subject to the suffering that's part of it. But in the midst of this, something is happening. Verse 22, if we go back to it, it says, We know the whole of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Now that reference is interesting because when uh, a woman is in the pains of childbirth, it's not, it's not kind of like a pointless suffering. It's, a, it's pain that's actually leading to something incredibly wonderful, like a child is about to be born. So it's not like, oh my goodness, this pain is just, is just like pointless and meaningless, but out of this, uh, this is just for a season and something wonderful is going to come. A, a child is going to come out of this. Um, when my wife did childbirth classes, it was called positive pain. <laughs> this is positive pain. It's not just like normal pain. It's pain that's actually leading somewhere. And what's happening is this, that creation is waiting to be set free. Creation itself will be in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. And so if we come back to that, that saying that I, I get the privilege of, and responsibility of saying at a funeral is the very last words of a funeral, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of the dead to eternal life through Christ Jesus. So there is a, there is a sadness, but there is a hope. Now, theologically, we call it this, the now but not yet kingdom. Okay, the now but not yet kingdom. Has the kingdom come? Has, has God's kingdom come? Well, yes. Are you saved? Are you redeemed? Are you forgiven if you're a Christian? Yes. <laughs> That's the correct answer. Everyone's a bit like, I'm not sure there. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, do you have the spirit? Yes. Do you, do you, have you been brought back in, reconciled and brought into relationship with God? Yes. So all these things are wonderful. There's been a redemption uh, in your life. There's been a setting free from the power of sin and death. That is wonderful. But uh, that, so the, has the kingdom come? Yes. And, and of course, Christ himself has come. Uh, but, but not yet. The kingdom is now, but it's not yet. And one of the great wrestlings that we have in churches and theology in between Christians is people wrestle with, well, how much is it now and how much is it not yet? And there's churches that, and, and some theologies and some Christians who want to be like, it's kind of, it's all now. And so um, they have a great, the upside of that is a great boldness to pray for healing and a belief that people will be healed and that God is working very actively to bring physical healing and change in people's lives. Uh, others say, no, it's pretty much not yet. So their focus is on the glory that is to come on, on heaven. 
The downside of those who say it's all now is sometimes I think they overemphasize how much is now and therefore they've got no real way of explaining and dealing with suffering. When real suffering comes along, they are all at sea. And maybe they want to try and blame someone it's because of sin in your life or it's because of this or it's because of that because their theology's got no uh, space for suffering because it's kind of like kingdom now. But the kingdom is now, but it's not yet. We've, we experience it in part, but we will experience it in full when either Christ returns or we go to be with him in glory. And that's the hope this is talking about. When we look ahead to the book of Revelation, there is a new heaven and there is a new earth and that uh, all suffering and all sickness and all tears and all brokenness and all sadness has been removed. There is a full, uh, God's kingdom is full and complete and we will experience it uh, completely um, and fully. And that is what we await. As good as this world is, there is something better to come. That's the hope we hold on to. This world is pretty good. There are parts of this world that are so awesome. There are parts of this world that are so beautiful. Um, you know, I, I love to go out in, walk around some of the trails around here and, and it's beautiful. It's just, it's gorgeous. But what we have now is nothing compared to what is to come and what we'll experience. Just as what we experience now of God, there's times when I'm worshipping or praying and I feel this deep connection with God and I feel this deep kind of intimacy with God. But, as good as that is, it's nothing compared to what we're going to experience of God in glory. And there's times when Christian community is wonderful. You know, there's times when maybe on a camp when you just have those moments where you just feel like everyone is one and we're brothers and sisters and we're all together. We can have moments of that, but that is nothing compared to the sense of being united that we're going to experience. So question number one is, is there hope in suffering? And the answer is absolutely. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is, not, that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So there's the first question. Um, just to summarize that, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians. When he spoke about his suffering in this world, he said, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so even though Paul suffered greatly, he didn't live this easy life. He suffered, but because of his awareness of God's glory, he was able to say, these are like light and momentary troubles. This is a guy who got beaten to within, whipped to within one stroke of his life on several occasions. Was able to say, these are light and momentary troubles to me in light of the glory of God. So... Is there hope in suffering? Absolutely. Uh, point number two, is suffering meaningless and pointless? Is suffering meaningless and pointless? Why do we still suffer? Verse 19 to 20 is a difficult verse. Have a look at that if you can. He says, uh, verse 20, For the creation was subjected to frustration, 
not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage. It's, it didn't just happen, nor was it the work of Satan or any other power or force. Uh, it was subjected by the will of the one, uh, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Who was that? Well, that was actually God. God subjected, when the fall happened, he subjected creation to actually change. Sin had its effect, but God was part of that. Why would God allow the creation to be subjected to frustration? And uh, at a micro level, it's very hard to, under, to answer the question about, well, why is suffering happening? Why is this person suffering and not this person? Why, why me? Why now? Why? Right? At the micro level, it's hard to answer that. But at a bigger level, Romans 8 speaks to us about some of the answer to this, which is basically that suffering is God's biggest signpost to point us to the reality that this world is not the fullness of the glory of God that He has for us. Um, if life is perfect and easy, in fact, when life is comfortable, inevitably that is when people become less aware of God and less dependent upon God. It's actually when life is difficult and hard and when suffering comes that people become aware of the need for God. The hardest people ever to reach with the gospel are those who are comfortable, wealthy and everything's going fine. In hardship is when people are made aware of their need for God. So suffering is like a signpost. When you go down the freeway and there's a sign that says, safety camera ahead what do you do you check you slow down right because <laughs> maybe you're going a little fast or um you at least check your speed it's like i've just seen something that has reminded me that i need to do something and that's what a sign is for uh you see a stop sign i've got to do something in response to this sign and suffering is god's sign to say we need to do something this world is not uh, all there is. This world is not all Because if this world is all there is, then this world really does suck and this life sucks. Because what this world is, is a world that is full of decay and the slow process is that you slowly decay as you get older and then you die and then that's it. It is utterly meaningless and pointless. And along the journey, many people are going to suffer. And it's not going to be till you're 70 or 80 or 90 that you suffer and really decay. You know, that's going to happen at all different ages, in all different ways, mentally, emotionally and physically for people. And so this should be a sign to people saying, there's got to be something more than this world. And there is. There is the glory and the hope of God who wants to liberate us and set us free from this bondage to decay and has the power to do that through Jesus Christ. When the Israelites um, were, um, they got exiled. So the Israelites living in the land of Canaan, which is modern-day Israel, they got exiled at one point and they got sent away to Babylon. And um, when they were there, some of them, you know, there's these songs that they sang about like, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept and remembered Zion. And there's a 70s song that, 
was put to that, to that, that passage. But others became comfortable and settled down in that land and they forgot about God and they forgot about uh, their old land and, their, and, the, and God and they just became so focused on their current uh, world that they just lost sight of God. But those who just recognize this is not right, this world is not where we're meant to be, this is not our home, were reminded that actually they had a home that was better and they had a God that wanted to take them to that place. So C.S. Lewis said, pain is God's megaphone. Pain is God's megaphone. Is suffering meaningless? No, suffering reminds us that this life is not all there is. That there is something more and that we have a need for a saviour and, uh, and we have a need for redemption. Finally, point three, where is God in suffering? Where is God in suffering? Let's have a look at verse 26 to 27. That's the last bit I haven't looked at and we're going to see something really beautiful. Where is God in suffering? In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but I forgot before. Here we go. Say that again. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The wonderful promise is that in our suffering, we are never alone because we have the Spirit living in us, which is what I preached last week. And the Spirit sort of goes to work in suffering and in our weakness. In our weakness, the Spirit helps us. Because there's times when we just don't know what to pray. And we've prayed and we've asked God and we hit the point where we don't know what to pray. And what happens then is that the Spirit actually intercedes for us and prays in accordance with the will of God. I kind of liken it to this. You imagine a, a hospital room and someone's suffering and they're struggling and they don't know what the future holds and they're there and they've prayed and they've, they've called on God and then they just kind of run out of energy and they run out of breath and they're just lying there. And it's a little like, God himself, well, Jesus walks into that room and sits down and begins to intercede for that person in their sickness and prays what they don't know how to pray and prays in accordance with God's will. Only when the Spirit intercedes for us, the Spirit is with us from start to finish and never departs and never leaves us. And as we struggle and suffer, the Spirit is interceding for us. Where is God in suffering? The answer is He is with us at all times. And He's for us at all times. And He desires for us to be uh, with Him forever and ultimately relieved of our suffering. So God is a God of eternity and our lifetime is but a passing moment. And so the encouragement is that we lift up our eyes in the midst of present sufferings, of pain, of frustration, of groaning, and know that there is a future glory that awaits us through the gospel because of what Jesus has done for us through his grace. Is there hope in suffering? Absolutely, there is hope. Is suffering meaningless? No, it's not. 
It's God's way of saying, this world is not the world I want for you. I'm calling you ultimately to a new heavens and new earth that I'm going to create. And there is going to be a new life, eternal life for you in there. And where is God in our suffering? Well, He's actually closer in your suffering than at any time. And He's interceding for you. And I know that actually in suffering, because suffering can be so burdensome, one of the difficult realities is that often people in suffering feel that God is distant. And offering find that they don't know how to pray and they don't know what to pray, they feel that God is distant. But actually we hold on to the hope, this is why we have God's word to assure us, God never leaves us nor forsakes us and his spirit is interceding for us in suffering. And that is the truth of God's word that we hold on to. So I'm going to ask the band to come up now. And what I'd love to do is um, we've got some uh, wonderful people in our congregation who are going to be here to pray at the front of the room. And um, I know kind of sometimes walking down the front can be confronting or something like that for some, but really shouldn't be because receiving prayer is wonderful. I'd love to just pray uh, and, and encourage you to come forward to pray with these people. Um, if there's something in your life that, you know, that you're suffering with, or if there's someone that you would want to pray for, it's a really wonderful thing to, to pray for people who are suffering. And, and I'm sure there's people in your midst, some of you, who would just uh, be wonderful just to pray for them tonight. So be crazy to preach a, prayer, a sermon on suffering and never actually pray um, that God might heal and that people might know God in suffering, that God might work through it. So for, whether it's for you or for someone you know, the encouragement is why don't you just come down the front and um, during this time of worship, we'd love to pray with anyone who wants to receive prayer. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.